Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome home. This is Tracy, and we want to thank you for being a part of the Life Together podcast. Before we get into this week's teaching, we want you to know that you matter to God and you matter to us. Life Together is a Wednesday evening gathering for worship, Bible study, and community here at Oak Creek Assembly of God in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. Welcome. I'm so glad that you're here tonight. I'm really excited to be here with you tonight. I'm excited to be speaking tonight. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but in our last series that we had, The Blueprint of the Heart, I didn't speak very much. And the reason I didn't speak very much is because July and August were kind of reserved for me to be working on writing our Christmas production for this year. So it's a, it's a 30-page script. It's 15 original songs. And, you know, after we do any production, someone always comes up to me and they go, <gasps> This was so great. We should celebrate Christmas all year long. And I'm like, I already do that. <laughs> and so if you, were, if you were in my house in July and August, I'm like sitting at my piano writing songs about, you know, how lonely I feel to be a shepherd boy in the field or how concerned I am about being pregnant at 16. And uh, so I'm, I'm really thankful to be speaking tonight, and I'm really thankful to not be talking about Christmas. What we are going to talk about is the book of 1 Peter. So there are 21 epistles in the New Testament. Uh, an epistle is a letter that is sent by an apostle. The vast majority of all those epistles were written by the apostle Paul, but just two of them were written by the apostle Peter, 1 Peter and Second Peter. We're going to take six weeks together as a Life Together family, and we're going to walk through the five chapters of the book of First Peter. If you wanted to read the whole thing, you could read the whole thing in about 15 minutes. We're going to take a slower pace to really dig into what I believe to be some really rich content that can bring some wonderful direction to our lives today. All scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for correcting and rebuking and training and teaching in righteousness. So that's why we do this. This is why we chase after this. Whenever I walk into a new book in the Bible, there are two great questions I always want to ask. I want to ask, where are we and when are we? And to figure it out, we're going to play a little game, and it is about Caesars. And here's the question is, first one, what was the name of the first Caesar of the Roman Empire? Anyone? That's the last name. What was his first name? It was close. It was good. Julius? Yeah, Julius. Yeah, like Orange Julius. Orange Julius Caesar. So, yeah, so Julius Caesar was the first. He's the guy who was assassinated at Tu Brute, the Ides of March. Now, we don't see the name Julius Caesar in the New Testament because he was assassinated in 44 BC, so he was already dead before Jesus was born. Okay, question number two. Um, which Caesar followed Julius? Oh, I think I heard it. Augustus, yes. And interesting, fun fact, right? So it was Julius Caesar because Caesar was actually his last name. But then it's Caesar Augustus because Caesar kind of became the job title, right? So Augustus was the Caesar. And so we do see his name in the Bible. He took over after Julius Caesar, and he reigned for a very long time. He reigned for 40 years, which at that time in history was a very long time to be in charge. We find him in the Bible in Luke chapter 2, whenever a census is called at the time of Joseph and Mary. And I've just turned First Peter into a Christmas story. Uh, after Caesar Augustus, who's number two, there is Tiberius and Caligula and Claudius. And then my third question is about number six. 
can you name the sixth Caesar who was the Caesar during the burning of Rome? Yeah, good job. You ready for that? Yeah, so, so Nero was number six, and Nero had a huge ego, so he was one of the people that just goes by, like, one name, like Beyonce or Oprah or Tonto. Uh, and, and so he was this crazy leader, and the story of the burning of Rome is, is nuts. So the great fire that was in Chicago lasted for three days. The burning of Rome lasted for nine days and destroyed two-thirds of the ancient city of Rome. The crazy thing is that most historians believe that Nero started the fire. So the, he had all these elaborate buildings that he wanted to build. He was a very, he was an egomaniac and he wanted to redesign Rome to look like he wanted to, it to look like, but he couldn't get a spending bill approved. And so he decided that he was just going to burn the city down and then they would be forced to rebuild the way that he wanted to. This man was not emotionally well. He killed his mother and his brother and his first wife. And so arson wasn't really a big deal. So he burns the whole city down. And once that is done, he's got what he wants, but he needs someone to blame. So this is 64 AD. And now they've just started talking about this new minority group with strange beliefs. And this new minority group has no political power and they are the perfect scapegoat. And so Nero says, let's blame the Christians. And when he does this, Nero starts a genocidal attack against the early Christian church. The things that he does to Christian people are horrific. Uh, history tells us that he would wrap Christians in dead animal carcasses and then feed them to the wolves. He would take Christians and submerge them into hot wax and then burn them alive to light his parties. This is the persecution that the early Christian church was facing. These are the people that Peter is writing to in his first epistle. Let's read the first two verses here together tonight. First Peter chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 says this. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. Let's pray as we get started tonight. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you did not leave us alone. But in these words, in this ink, we can find life. We can find direction for the lives that we're living, and we can be led by your Spirit. I pray that as we walk into this book tonight, that our thinking and our feeling will be directed by your Holy Spirit, that you would have accomplished what you want to see accomplished. If you are new to the Christian faith, if you have been here for 20, 30, 50 years, God, let our hearts not ever grow cold to you. Let us be alert to what you want to say in this room tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I think that uh, Peter, the disciple, gets kind of a bad rap. So uh, this guy had a rough time. Part of the problem is that the majority of stories that you know about Peter, that I know about Peter, all occurred while he was Peter, the disciple. So in the years where he was serving with Christ, leading up to the crucifixion. And so during those years... Peter had a tendency of getting ahead of himself. So Peter is the guy who sees Jesus walking on the water, and he says, hey, I, I, I can do that. 
And so he hops out of the boat. He starts walking, and things are going fairly well. And then he reaches a point, and he goes, oh, he begins to doubt. And when he begins to doubt, he begins to sink. He's the same guy who told Jesus, you do not need to worry. I will never betray you, even if it would cost my life. I'll never betray you. Like five hours later, a little girl comes up and says, hey, do you know Jesus? And Peter denies that he ever even met this man. Peter's original name was Simon. Well, Jesus changes his name from Simon to Peter or Petra, which means the rock. And he says, on this rock, I'll build my church. Well, again, it's not more than four sentences later that Jesus looks at Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. Like, okay. So this, this guy's having a rough time. Like, he, he's not winning every match. He's kind of an, an even win-loss record. And this is the story. We know about Peter. This is probably the perception that you may have about Peter if you just know him from these stories. But when we jump all the way to the book we're reading tonight, to the epistle of 1 Peter, a lot of time has passed. This is not the same Peter. He is no longer a a, a stubborn 20-something. He is now a seasoned shepherd of the church of Jesus Christ. So Peter has now walked into the empty tomb where Jesus' body was once laying. Peter has sat down and had breakfast with the risen Christ. Peter has waited in Jerusalem for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And when he was then empowered with the fullness of the Holy Spirit, he preaches a sermon that day, and 3,000 people come to Christ. This letter is written another 20 or 30 years after the day of Pentecost. A lot of things have happened. Peter is now a changed person. He is a very mature, very respected leader. He writes this letter to five different cities that are all located in what today would be modern-day Turkey, but in that time period, it was, it was all Roman Empire. And so he's writing to these five different churches in these five different cities, and what you need to know is that in each one of these cities, everyone who lives there, they, they are Roman people. So they're not Jewish. There were Jewish people scattered at different locations, but not at these locations and not at these churches. Peter is writing to a Roman audience, which is why in the second sentence of this book, he gives this greeting to his audience, to these Roman people, and he says two things in this second sentence of the book of First Peter that do not make sense if you're talking to Roman people, and I want to share this with you tonight. So the first statement he makes is he says, I am writing to God's chosen people. Now, wait a second. Who are God's chosen people? Well, God's chosen, that's, that's the Jewish people. And, and this is a very Jewish phrase. It's like if you call a Packers fan a cheesehead, like everyone knows who you're talking about. And if you would have said God's chosen people in this time period, everyone would have known that you're talking about the Jewish people. If you let me jump back to the first book of the Bible, in Genesis 18, 18, it says this, For Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. I have singled him out. The NIV version says, I have chosen him. Out of all of the people that were alive at that time, out of all of the people that God had made, God chose Abraham. He picked him. He picked Abraham's people, the Jewish people, the Israel people, he chose all of those people, and now Peter is sitting here talking to a bunch of Roman people, and he says, God chose you. You are God's chosen people. So currently in the U.S., uh, there are five million people who are adopted, who were adopted either as a baby or a kid or a teenager, 
And so that, that 5 million people would make up about 2% of the U.S. population as, as a whole. So I have important and bad news for everyone who's in that 98% majority. Here it is. I don't mean to hurt your feelings. But if you're in the 98% majority, um, your parents did not choose you. So they, they might have wanted to have children, um, but you are just what happened. They did not select you. You were not chosen. Now, to the minority in the room, to the 2% who were adopted, they have a, a unique experience that other people in the room can't understand. And it is the ability to have been chosen, right? So you might have been chosen by godly parents or ungodly parents. You might have had a good experience or a bad experience with your parents. But if you were adopted, you know what it was to be chosen. Your parents did not have to be parents. They could have met you and turned you back in. They could have decided not to go through with it. They didn't have to do this. They went out of their way to choose you, to select you. There is something in God's nature that he is an adoptive nature kind of God. He walks through the world with his creation for those who were separated from him, and he chooses people to be his people. People, Peter looks at the people of Rome the Christians of Rome, and he says, if you have called upon the name of Jesus, if you have been baptized into the faith of Jesus Christ, if you have sat down at the communion table with the body of Jesus Christ, you are now part of a new family, and you are chosen. Now, now you may say, ah, oh, Dan, like, ah, oh, I, that, 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 that's not my experience. I, you know, I, I chose this. I chose God. I, I chose this church. Well, you know, I, I actually chose a different church before, and I, I didn't feel connected there, and I didn't feel loved, and, and so I came here, and, and sometimes it's better, and sometimes there's good days, and sometimes there's, there's not good days, and I, I feel like I have to kind of fake my way through my friendships because if I was honest with any of my friends, they would all bail on me if they really knew who I was or what I think, and so th they wouldn't choose me. I don't know that I would choose myself, and that really is reflective of the way I view my relationship with Christ, that, that for me, it's like, I want Christ, but I'm not exactly sure that Christ wants me, and in most days, that leaves me feeling on the edge, on the edge of relationships, on the edge of my relationship with my church, on the edge of my relationship with Christ, and some days, I feel like I might just fall off the edge because I'm not wanted, that I, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not chosen. If, if you have felt that way tonight, if you know someone who feels that way, I really want you to hear what I'm saying tonight. You did not choose God. You accepted his invitation. God chose you. He saw you. He picked you out. He selected you. He knew you while you were still a baby inside of your mother's womb. He designed you. His image is on you. You are designed in the image of God. And then when you were born, God paved a path for you to come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. He has lined up your days that you would have a way to know him, to be reconciled with him, to be joined back together so that he could be with you for all eternity. He chose you. Peter says, if you have called upon the name of the Lord, if you've been baptized in the faith of Jesus Christ, if you have sat down at the communion table of the body of Christ, you are chosen. And then Peter does five more words, and he says something new that also 
does not make sense if you're talking to Roman people. Let's, let's read a few, few more words here. He says, I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners. The Greek word here is peripodemos. It's translated here as foreigners, but it also means strangers or sojourners or exiles or refugees or aliens. Now, who is Peter talking to? He is talking to Romans. Where are they living? In the Roman Empire. These are people who are in the country of their birth. They are living in the cities that they grew up in as children. And Peter says, you are foreigners. The Greek word is only used in one other book in the Bible. And when it's used, it's used to describe Jewish people. This term, being an exile, was associated with Jewishness. Hebrews eleven thirteen says, all these people, which was a long list of faithful Jewish people throughout history, were still living by faith. When they died, they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were, it's the same Greek word here, foreigners and strangers on earth. Peter says, the chosen people of God have always been foreigners. Abraham left his homeland. It was Jacob who fled down to Egypt. Uh, there was the kings who ruled for a very short period of time, and then they were exiled up to Babylon. Then Persia took control, and now the Romans have taken control. Jewish people are foreigners. We are used to living like refugees. We are used to living like aliens. And now, you Romans, I know that you're living in the town that you grew up in. I know that you are the same nationality of the people that you live in. But I need you to know that now that you have called upon the name of Jesus, now that you have been baptized in the faith of Jesus Christ, now that you have sat at the communion table at the body of Jesus Christ, you are foreigners. You don't belong here anymore. So, uh, quick survey. Raise your hand if you were born in Wisconsin. So who was born? Okay, raise your hand if you were born in the U.S., but in a different state than Wisconsin. This is me. Okay, and then raise your hand if you were born in a different country. Awesome, very cool. Okay, so, so national averages there. So 58% of Americans uh, were born in the same state they're currently living in, which seems like we're maybe even a little bit high for that in this room right now. Uh, 24% of people are like me who are American citizens, but they were born in a different state than the one they currently live in. And then 14% of Americans are like some of our friends here tonight who were born in a different country and now live in America. I have bad news for that majority that if I take the 54 and 24, that 50, oh, no, I can't do it. A large percentage <laughs> For those who are in the majority, I want you to listen to me. There is something that your friends understand that you don't understand, which is what it feels like to be a foreigner, to be in a room where no one is speaking the same language that you grew up with, to be in a room where no one looks like you, and you're like, I've been on a missions trip before. Yeah, <laughs> you did, but then you used your wealth to hop on an airplane and go back home, right? So... There is an experience that exiles have had, that aliens and immigrants and refugees have had. And Peter says, is it possible that there is something about the characteristic of a refugee that is aligned to the character of the people of Christ? 
is there something inside of that experience that is the same for those of us who are in Christ? Is it possible that you are chosen and that you are also a foreigner? I want to, there's a phrase that people use often in their lives. It's just a phrase and it's also a feeling. And I wanted to take a minute and just kind of stare at this phrase. So the phrase is simple. It's, it's I don't belong. I've probably said it a couple times already in illustrations. But if I think about th- those three words, I don't belong, I think it evokes an emotion that all of us at different points in our lives have experienced or felt in different rooms and different places. But tonight as I look at these two uh, characteristics of those who are in Christ, of those who are in the family of Christ, if God has brought you out and put you into a new family where he tells you you are chosen and you are a foreigner. I stare at this phrase, I don't belong, and it makes me want to kind of do like a slow walk around this tonight and really look at this feeling, this thought, and see where that lands into my heart tonight. So if I think about where I belong, I'd like to say that, like, if you are in Christ, there's two places where you really belong, and it's the people that chose you, right? So so you are chosen by Christ. So if you are a child of God, you belong with Christ. And if there are voices that are in your heart and your mind tonight that tell you that you are unworthy of the affection of your Creator, I would love for those voices to be quiet in the name of Jesus. I would love for you to feel that speech from your creator that says, you belong with me. I chose you. I saw you. I knew you. I chose you. You belong. The other place I think that every Christian belongs is in the body of Christ. Now, this church is filled with imperfect people, as is every church you've ever visited. We're not always going to get it right. There must be forgiveness in a body of Christ in order for there to be relationship. But as we forgive each other, as we sanctify our hearts and our minds and our thinking, that there is a acceptance in the body of Christ that is a God-designed necessity for your life. That you are chosen to belong to Christ and you are also chosen to belong to the body of Christ. That you would not face this world, your trials and tests alone. That you would be surrounded by a body of, of Christian people. So when I look at this, I don't belong. And I think about my relationship towards Christ and my relationship towards the body of Christ. I, I want I don't belong to be silenced. But as I keep walking around this phrase, there, there's other things that kind of catch me off guard with that. Because if I think about all my friends in the room who've grown up in Wisconsin their entire life, Wisconsin's kind of nice. I like the weather eight months out of the year. I enjoy living near the lake. I like the people here. They're friendly. I like the food. I like cheese, fried. And there's lots of really great things. And if you had lived here your whole life for, like me, eight and a half years, you might start to feel that you belong here. You might start to feel that you belong to the home that you live in, to the job that you have, to the school that you attend, to the bowling club you go to on Tuesday nights, that you might start to feel your identity shaping around these other places. And I 
would argue tonight that there are some other areas in your life where Jesus would really like you to not belong. You will not be an American in heaven. You will not be a Wisconsinite. You will not be a Republican or a Democrat in heaven. There are things that we can attach ourselves to here on earth, and we can find our belonging in the wrong places. And I think Peter wants to remind you tonight that you don't belong here. You are in exile. If you feel like a refugee, if you feel like an immigrant or an alien living in Milwaukee, then there is something aligned in your spirit with the character of a Christian person. There is a disconnect that God wants to exist in your heart that keeps your eyes fixed on where you're going. This, this place you live in is not a destination. I want to challenge every single person when they walk home tonight to walk into your apartment or your house or your dorm room. And when you, when you get there, I want you to walk in the doorway. And then I just want you to just take a moment and I want you to say the words out loud or in your head, I don't belong here. And I think it's strange Right? Because we sort of live in a culture that, like, fights for belonging. And when it comes to the body of Christ, when it comes to knowing Christ, you should belong. You are chosen. He chose you. He saw you. He knew you. He sees you sitting where you're sitting at right now. You belong here. When it comes to belonging to this world, this culture, this country, your house, your stuff, your car, God says, you don't belong here. You're a foreigner. You're in exile. You are just passing through. There was an old man who had the habit of every Sunday night going to the graveside to visit the tomb of his wife. They had been married for 60 years. He loved each other with great, great affection. And so he had this habit that every Sunday night he would come and visit her tombstone. Well, one day, uh, the weather had gotten bad earlier in the day, and he couldn't go out. And so he found himself going out after dark. It's about 8 o'clock at night. And he's going out to a spot that to him was very familiar Eight o'clock at night, he goes out there, and he sees this little girl, couldn't have been more than eight or nine years old, walking through the cemetery. And it hits him, and he's going, I, I cannot believe this young girl is not scared to be in a cemetery after dark. So he, he says hi to her in a friendly way, make sure that, that she's doing okay. And he says, you know, little girl, how, how, how are you not scared to be walking through a cemetery at night, and she, she said, she stuck out her chin in the way that, you know, that brave girls often do, and said, I'm not scared. My home is just over the hill. And, and it was that she lived just on the other side. And that in her knowledge of where she was traveling to, in her awareness of where the destination point was in her life, it gave her a gift to orient herself through the darkness. God wants to give you a gift to help you orient yourself through the darkness. And I think that if you can find the balance between I am chosen and I am a foreigner, if you can balance those two things in your left hand and your right hand, I think you will find in that the character of Christ. I think it will help you to understand God's nature for what it means to be a Christian in 2022 what it means for you to be able to walk upright and to find that right godly sense of belonging in your life, that, that ache, that incompleteness, that fear, that panic that can fight each one of us, 
that when we feel those feelings of, of unbelonging, that we can find that safe spot. We can find that right spot, that righteous spot in our thinking that you can go forward and you can know that I am chosen and I am a foreigner and God is with me. At the end of this greeting, Peter works into this beautiful song of praise. And I want to read this song of praise just as our closing together today and leave this with you as we close. The song of praise, verse 3 through 6, Peter says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive the salvation which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So, be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you be with us tonight. I pray, God, as, as we have leaned into your word, that there would be a lifting of our heads. You have promised us that because of the good gifts you have in store for us, because of the land that we are intended to live in one day, that we can travel through this land with great joy. I pray, Lord, that tonight, as we've kind of battled this in our hearts, I pray that there would be a centering inside each one of us, that whichever way we've been out of balance, if we are walking through our lives feeling unloved or disconnected from you, or if we're walking through our lives feeling too connected to the things of this world, I pray, Lord, that you would center each one of us on, uh, on your spirit tonight, that we would know you, that we would walk in a way that would draw us closer to you. We need you. We need your direction. I want to pray for every person that's in, the, in this room tonight. I pray, Lord, as we've come into the sanctuary tonight to bring with us the things that have weighed on us, those stresses, those anxieties, the, the tests that we may be walking through right now. I pray, Lord, that as we cast our cares upon you, that we would see your hand revealed to us. We trust you. We need you. And then I pray as we leave that here at the altar, as we leave this room tonight, we would be able to walk tall in our identity not being afraid to be an exile or an immigrant, but to be able to be confident that we've been selected by our loving Heavenly Father and we can walk tall knowing that we are His children. We love you. We thank you for the night that you've given to us. We thank you for the health of this body and community. We pray, Lord, that you would always be blessed in this place and that your name would always be praised. We give you all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Have a great night. We love you. We'll look forward to seeing you back next week. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we get to see you in person. You are invited to join us on Wednesday evenings here at Oak Creek Assembly of God. We are a church that exists to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Find us online at oakcreekag.org.